coming right now is my niece, Kim Bays from the South Sudan. Kim, welcome. Hi, Uncle Randy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, you know, before we go into exactly uh, what you're doing there in the South Sudan, just wanted to set things up a little bit. You know, you guys, you grew up in Southern California, down this the San Diego area, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, and and so how does a girl from the Oceanside area? A, end up at Temple University, got your degree there, and then get so involved on the continent of Africa, because you're working there now, but it's it's far from your first time you were in that country, or that continent, I should say. Continent, yeah. Um, it's, been, it's been an interesting journey. I think I was unique in that I was kind of a weird kid, uh, starting from high school. Uh, I took an interest in learning specifically uh, at the time the Rwandan genocide really resonated and uh, captured you know my concern and my 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 uh, attention and by then it was it was several years after so it was more examining why it happened and and why we as an international community uh, kind of let it happen uh, the way that it did and that kind of just started to snowball um, why did a California girl go all the way to Philadelphia for university, Temple University, proud, proud owl? Um, I went, to, you know, Oceanside is very diverse, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to make sure my university experience was also diverse and different. And I had never spent much time on the East Coast, so that brought me to Philadelphia. And once there, I was recruited into uh, this organization called the Organization of African Students, where I made some lifelong, you know, many of them are still my friends, and uh, started to learn about other areas of, of Africa. Uh, I had spent a summer in Cameroon before I went to, to college, so all of these experiences kind of uh, built on one another, and I feel like Africa is, as a continent is just it's area of the world that you start to dive in and you learn a little bit and that leads you to learn more and learn more and learn more. And I think professionally, I started to like the idea of looking at very complex challenges that come from, you know, kind of all sorts of sectors uh, and how, how you would solve them. So how do you prevent genocide or how do you grow in an economy? These are really, um, complex issues that take lots of different actors to, to solve. And, and I mean, just from the standpoint of point of reference, size-wise, people should be aware of the African continent, how big it is in relation to our country, because often Americans just think of everything in the size of North America, and the African continent just dwarfs North America. The African continent is vast, and I think because of the orientation of our maps and how the globe, how, how we've take a, we take a sphere and we make it flat, has for generations kind of presented Africa in a, a smaller uh, representation of how large it is. I believe uh, all of the other continents can fit within the African continent um, together. And I know, for example, Many people will not be aware of, of, of South Sudan and its history, but 
uh, Sudan is the size of, of France, the size of, uh, of Afghanistan, if you want to compare it to other countries. But when you look on the map, I think, on the globe, it looks teeny tiny. Yeah. What are some of the particular challenges? Because for those that don't know, you know, for you were taught in geography classes, at least I was, um, when you kept looking at maps, there was a listing there that just said Sudan. And now there's a South Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the particular challenges there for you with the UN and going to a country that A, is fairly young and, and B, may not have the, the infrastructure needed to really get up on their feet? I mean, the challenges are enormous. I think, um, you know, they gained independence in 2011. Um, the United States was actually one of the major uh, you know, kind of friends of this movement that wanted to seek uh, independence from the North, who are both culturally and ethnically much different than the South. Um, And they fought for their independence for over 30 years. So that has a profound effect of uh, on on, on people. Every every man and young young man up to a certain age has, has served militarily. Um, every woman has, you know, either lost some some male counterpart and had to endure a, a lot of challenges. Actually, women and children represent almost over 60% of the people who are displaced here in the conflict. So it has a, a, a big effect on, on everything you can imagine. But, for example, uh, you know, the paved roads, there are, you know, you can count them on one hand. Um, and they were were built in after 20 after 2008, 2010, 2011, 2012. So there was a lot of rapid uh, development that happened at uh, Independence in 2011, which really came to a halt. Um, the first wave of kind of the the internal uh, civil strife that ha- that began in 2013, and is continues to some aspects uh, today. Well, you were you have been in that area for how many years now? Because I, I I know you went through through some. You talk about the strife in the area. You went through some pretty dicey moments not that long ago. Yes, I was in Juba, the capital city, uh, in 2016, July 2016. Uh, there was active fighting that happened between kind of two factions of uh, leadership here in the country. And um, yeah, that involved, you know, active fighting going around the uh, and around our compound. We we all um, within the UN tend to reside in um, in compounds with high walls and, and guards and things like that. You can move quite freely. Uh, I arrived in 2016, and and your your movement was free, but your curfew was 9 p.m. at the time. Uh, and then after. July 2016, when things really went downhill, um, they they moved. You know, everything everything takes a step back, including, you know, we're working in development. We're not. Uh, I don't work with the humanitarians, the the people who give the food, the food drops from the sky, World Food Program, um, and uh, entities like uh, UNICEF who really help um, protect children and and give support in many different ways. Uh, we do kind of different work. We need there to be peace 
uh, without peace, there can be no long-lasting development. But we kind of flip it on its head, too, because we've seen here, because it's starting from such um, uh, kind of the ground up, needing to build all institutions, that you can't have peace without development. Uh, the absence of both entities kind of, kind of create this recurrent cycle of conflict and, and people needing assistance. Uh, there's an old and at times maybe inappropriate, but uh, an old saying, uh, how do you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time? And, and that is a large, large challenge you're taking on there in the South Sudan. Um, how, how do you keep that perspective on a, on a day to day basis? Because the, the goals have to be one thing, but the challenge has to be sort of almost looking at everything in a very today right now standpoint and and not getting lost in everything on the outside yeah i think that's a really excellent question it it has has had a profound effect on my perspective even of my country of origin the united states you know and, and of our, our process of when we were founded and you know we were also freedom fighters so uh this you know system of building a government that the people would want from the ground up. Um, I really like to share sometimes some uh, American history when I when I'm speaking to to people, um, and some of these lessons. I think it's it's very parallel um, to this context. I think there's a lot of parallels too. I, as you mentioned, I went to university in uh, in Temple University, which is in North Philly, and did a lot of community work there um, in kind of you know uh, a more uh, you know community of need. And uh, I see similarities all the time of, of where do you begin, how do you really address uh, the issues in a way that the system will be improved and the people will, will be kind of empowered to take ownership of their own, you know, prosperity. And I think uh, what I can say personally is uh, I'm very fortunate in my job, my particular role as a communications officer sends me out into the countryside often. And it's getting to interact with people who, no matter what the situation is, you know, you kind of, you see these commonalities and you, you ask them, you know, we're, we're often trying to assess how impactful our programs, our, our trainings are being. And I always fall back on a question of, uh, you know, what is your biggest wishes, your children, in 10 years from now. And I love hearing those stories of, of, of what they want or what they, what they need to happen and what they want for their, their children to achieve. Um, and that's really powerful. Yeah, that's something, it's great for you to share that too, especially sharing some of, you know, our early history as a country, because, you know, frankly, people back here kind of tend to forget about all that. And in a lot of cases, you know, they just don't know. Yeah. What, what from your perspective? I think it's also an idea we the government. Sorry, we also work with the government and yeah. this idea that it, it takes time in, in a world now that moves as rapidly as Twitter moves and social media and understanding that, you know, Rome was not built in a day, uh, you know, when you speak to people and you, and you introduce yourself as an American, you kind of get a reaction like, oh, you guys have it all figured out. And, you know, 
there's so much prosperity there and there's your your political system works so well <laughs> and you can kind of share you know you know we, we went through we had our own civil war that is technically the largest the longest lasting uh war that americans fought in so oh for yeah a long time, oh yeah no doubt Hey, uh, for you, do you get this much, and you're in the communications and in your innovation team leader, how much of the media are you involved with there? Because in, in searching stories about South Sudan, this seems to be an area that's you'd be far from saying it's overserved as far as attention in the media goes. There definitely needs to be more attention in South Sudan. Uh, and, and working with my UN colleagues who, who have uh, served in other places too, it's hard to say that South Sudan needs more attention than Yemen, than needs more attention than Syria. It's hard for, I know, people who are far away um, to resist becoming desensitized uh, to hearing stories of, of need far, far, far away and trying to figure out, you know, stay interested long enough to listen to what the solutions are when they don't really fit in a, always in a slogan. But I think that, uh, yeah, it's interesting. The, the way that the media works here, um, I think sometimes is a little demoralizing to the locals. Uh, I think it misses some of the positive small steps. You know, they might, take five steps backwards, but there are people here who are doing very tenacious, determined, grunt, uh, you know, difficult work um, to move their country forward. And I really think that's a part of um, some of UNDP's uh, innovation and the uh, initiative that we're trying to do with the Accelerator Lab is really trying to surface up more. Mm-hmm. And I know that just on a personal note, over here, I made a conscious effort um, on my Instagram and on my Facebook to try to share more uh, positive stories and empowering images of the women and the children and people doing doing work because it is you know it's everywhere here, um, and and that's not to diminish the huge challenges and the life-saving um, support that happens as well, but I think to miss that is to also uh, misrepresent how, how it is. There's a lot of happiness. Um, just a, an interesting anecdote is um, I'm learning how to salsa and bachata and merengue. Uh, and I think it's a funny thing that I will be able to tell people when I leave South Sudan that uh, I, I learned how to become a salsa dancer. It's kind of unexpected. But there's a community of, of local locals and expats who, who meet together, uh, you know, weekly and, and dance and, and, and enjoy themselves and kind of do something positive and healthy. If, if people out here, out there or here in the U.S. Um, want to know more about what's going on with you guys in the, in the U.N. development program, where, where would they go on the net? Uh, so we have our global website, UNDP.org, and if you want to access some stories and information and through our website, uh, our, our social media, you specific to South Sudan, you would go to ss.UNDP.org. So that's SS? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. 
Fantastic. Uh, Kim, I really want to thank you for, for doing this. We're going to have to revisit as things go along, if, if you would like to. Um, it's fantastic, and I can just say, you know, I'm so proud of what you do, always have been. And it's incredible what you're involved in over there. And I know your mom is about the bus. She's so proud of you. But there's a lot of us here that feel the same way. Well, thank you so much, Uncle Randy. It seems weird. Just I cannot just call you Randy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Thanks again, Kim. Be safe. Thank you very much. Thank you.